Welcome back to the Give Em Liam podcast on the Cover Podcast Network. It's been a good week, big week, lots happening. Lydia Williams is on the show in a minute. Got to thank the cover.com.au. Got to thank our sponsors, Riverside. Big, big fan of your work, Riverside. You know that. Everybody knows that. Everyone who listens to the show knows that. Head to the website, subscribe to the newsletter, do what you got to do. Plenty of fun stuff happening. Fifth and Dribble and Daily Dribble did a podcast together last week talking all things NBA and NBL. They had a nice little bet. Kings, Sydney Kings v Tassie Jack Jumpers in the, in the NBL. Shouts to the Jack Jumpers. First year in the league making the finals. Unbelievable. Unbelievable effort. So congrats to them. Big shouts to them. Unfortunately, got swept. <laughs> so the fifth and dribble guys walked away with a case of beers, which is always nice, you know? Beers getting expensive. Inflation, we're battling. Wages aren't rising quick enough. Super, we, we can dip into our super now. Crazy times, crazy times. Before we get to Lydia, a uh, quick super rugby update. The, the competition's been really good. I've been really excited. I'm really happy with the way it's it's gone. Still a little bit concerning that the top eight teams make the finals. I think that's maybe too many, especially given the eighth spot is probably going to lose more games than they win. That's the Highlanders at the moment. But the one thing I want to talk about, sort of, there's going to be, I think there's going to be a bit of jockeying top four spots, so... Blues, I think, are gonna they're gonna finish top. <clears throat> Brumbies currently sit in second. Crusaders third. Now that Brumbies Crusaders game was a really good game of football, and to me, it just iterated how perfectly you have to play in order to have a chance against the Crusaders. Brumbies didn't play perfectly, but what is pleasing, they created a ton of opportunities, particularly late in the game. They manufactured some line breaks. The support play and stuff wasn't there. I think that'll come. I don't think that's too concerning or anything to be too concerned about. So they know they can create opportunities. They just need to finish. But the Crusaders were relentless. Defensively, very strong. You know, the Brumbies maul. They made the Brumbies maul kind of inefficient, ineffective, not inefficient, ineffective. You know, so the Brumbies a couple of times had opportunities to go for points. You know, five minutes out. I hate it. It's boring as, as, what, as, as, as whatever. But... You know, the Brumbies have made a living, really, with that maul. And, and to the Crusaders' credit, they they negated it. So the question becomes, for me, as a Brumbies fan, who do I want to play more? Who do I want to play in that quarterfinal? Do I want to hold on to that second spot and play against the Reds, who have beaten us, you know, They've, they've been one of the teams who has had, you know, some pretty consistent wins over the last few years against the Brumbies. You know, have they become a little bit of a bogey team? Maybe. If Nick Berry's refereeing, yes. <laughs> Always got to get that Nick, Nick Berry dig in. So do I want to play the Reds or do I want to try and drop down to that third spot and... Noting that we, we drop down to third, we give away a home semi, potentially. Not potentially. Well, potentially. Because we've got to win the first one to get the semi. So anyway, so drop down to third and then we play the Hurricanes or the Waratahs currently as it sits. I don't know how much. I don't think that's going to chop and change too much. So the Crusaders have a relatively easy run home. The Brumbies have got the Blues. So I think the Crusaders will win the next two games and they're currently on even points with the Brumbies. So let's say they walk away with eight points. That gets them to 51 points. That that should be enough to get to second because the Blues, the Blues, I, I would assume, would win one of two of the next two games, which would get them to 54 or 55 points. So I think I don't think anyone can knock the Blues off unless they have a bit of a collapse and lose the next two games, which is entirely possible. Don't want to rule it out. Seen crazier things. 
So do do we want to do that? Do we want to stick in second or do we want to drop down to third and play, yeah, the Hurricanes or the Waratahs, you know, who potentially who, – who we've beaten. You know, we, we've had the wood over the Waratahs for the last few years. We just beat the Hurricanes, you know, who I think are having a bit of a down, a bit of a lull year. I don't know. I think I would prefer to play – I think it would. I mean, I'd prefer to keep that second spot because we let's let's pretend season ends today. We play the Reds at home. We win. Then we get another home semi where we're likely to play the Crusaders or whoever finishes sixth. So that would be at the moment the Waratahs or the Hurricanes. So yeah. I don't know. That's the question I'm asking. I'd like to hear your thoughts. But having said that, the Brumbies are going to have to win. To keep that second spot, they're going to have to win the next two games. So they could beat the Blues, definitely, particularly because they're playing at home. Then they've got to play Moana Pacifica. I think they'll probably win convincingly against Moana Pacifica because they have got a brutal schedule the last two weeks of the season. They play Friday... They play Tuesday, and then they play the Brumbies in their last game on Saturday. They play the the Rebels Tuesday, uh, Rebels play the Force Tuesday, and then Brumbies Saturday. So I think that's going to be really difficult for them. And I think the Brumbies will have hopefully gained some confidence from beating the Blues, and then will be rolling in, you know, looking to roll into finals in that second spot. So these last two weeks are more compelling than than I probably thought they would be and that uh you know that that I, and I, and I think it's been more entertaining than than a lot of people thought it would be and I guess the question now is have the australian teams gotten better or have new zealand regressed or is it both or you know regressed or stagnated or is it both so it, it's an interesting it's an interesting thought, and I don't have an answer to it. But certainly, not having the South Africans in the competition anymore gives it a different flavor, a different vibe. You know, and potentially losing out on on playing some more world class teams because I think you know as good as as good as Moana Pacifica can be, and the Fijian Drua can be, and I think long term that they'll be really positive. For the competition. Right now they're just not there. Alright. That'll do the rugby rap. Rugby rant. Whatever you want to call it. On to my conversation with Lydia. Lydia, welcome back to the show. Appreciate the uh, calling in on your holiday. How's it no, going? No, it's all, it's, <laughs> it's, nothing's really happened too far to kind of brag about. Um, but yeah... <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm trying to be a tourist in Europe as much as possible. <laughs> so, firstly, I guess congratulations and commiserations. A really fantastic season for for Arsenal, but obviously didn't get the result you want. But I think, yeah, you know, from an outsider's perspective, gave you got you guys gave yourself every chance at the back end. You had a couple of really strong wins, and you know sometimes that's just the way it goes. Yeah, I think the interesting thing about obviously playing in, um, you know, the English league and I guess European leagues is that there's no semis and finals. It's kind of like you have to have a consistency throughout the whole season. So, yeah. I mean, everyone's talking about the game that we lost um, earlier in the year that kind of, you know, put us behind the, the eight ball. And, um, yeah, there's sometimes just, yeah, that's just how football goes, really. Yeah. And, it, you know, as you say, it's it's a real testament of consistency rather than a, you know, a a a peak uh, into the finals. You really do need to be pretty close to to perfect or pretty close to your best the whole the whole year. But I just yeah, I just want to say congratulations because it it was un, unreal and it's unreal to see how the product just as an overall you know FA Women's Super League and how it's being invested in and and how it's being broadcast and and the growth it's it's been really good to see from you know when i started sort of paying attention 2 years ago to to now it's really great yeah no it's been great honestly and um just seeing all the girls how much they loved it from 
from both, you know, English players to internationals, I think it's really cool that the league has generated so much growth over the last, you know, couple of years. Yeah, and there's obvious fan buy-in now too, you know. There's... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it definitely helps when you have like EPL teams that are <laughs> investing now and, and <laughs> doing all that, so... 100%, 100%. I mean, and, you know, that that's where the money is. I see, you know, you see, you always see it reported, the billions and billions of pounds that those clubs, you know, put into football every year. So it's really good to see that, you know, the women are starting to be recognised and, and invested in as well. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of investment, how's that for a segue? We good here. That was perfect. <laughs> The uh, Para Matildas uh, play played against the US. Won a won a played against the US in the final of the the um, Para World Cup and won a silver. Didn't get the win, but just an incredible achievement for that team. The first time to be competing in the World Cup in a tournament of that scale to do that, uh, pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean. Obviously, just the investment over only like a few years into, you know, the Para um, Matildas. I think obviously the Para Roos have been around for a little bit, but mm. um, to see that you know the women are, are being invested in and um, yeah, to I mean reach a final of a, a World Cup, no matter what kind of discipline it is, um, is incredible. Uh, and I think you know for that to be the first competition that you know, they played in and to, to do that um, and, you know, it went into extra time. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's really kind of like a testament to the program and, and the people and, and obviously the athletes that are involved with it. And does that make you really proud? You know, you, you've been on this journey with the Matildas for a long time now, but to see to see the growth with the Matildas and, and football or in Football Australia holistically, but, you know, to see that now investment into being more inclusive and being more accessible to, to all people. Does that make you really proud to be part of that organization? Yeah. I mean, I think any time that you see an Australian team in a final, it's always, you know, something to be really proud of and um, for it to be in your sport. I think it's something even more incredible. And, um, you know, for a, a team to not really be around that long um, to develop the way that they did, uh, you know, that's, that's something really important and I think, you know, can see the investments really, I guess, paying off for them. Yeah, and that's a really good point. Like high performance doesn't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. And yeah, as you say, for them to have only been around for such a short time and then to ha- to go to their first World Cup and make it that far, you know, that that's that's impressive in itself. And then, you know, the, I think the really exciting thing is what they've been able to achieve in such a short time now with continued investment, hopefully with more media coverage because they have been successful and more, you know, better co- or more coaches, more, you know, more um, more underpinning facilities and structures, you know, the the possibilities for growing that, that side of the game, I think, are pretty endless, really. Yeah, I think all footballers want to play in a, in a World Cup. Um, you know, playing in Olympics is amazing, but to just have a World Cup solely with your sport and every kind of every country, basically they're representing your sport. I think there's just something special about that. So, yeah, a real big congratulations for the girls. I think it's really incredible and, you know, something I think all Aussies are proud of, um, you we know, are, how they performed. We are pretty amazing with with that as, as Australians when, you know, it could be, it could be in anything like, you know, there mm-hmm. could be someone someone doing really well in a game show or something overseas and we all get around them. <laughs> <laughs> game show, Ninja Warrior or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. But, you know, we we are it, we're, we're we're really good like that. We we really get behind people no matter what they're doing. You know, if you're at mm-hmm. the peak of your field, Australians will get behind you. But then we also do a really good job of making sure you don't get a big head. So as soon yeah. as, as soon as you say something or do something and people are like this guy's getting a little bit this guy's getting a little bit ahead of himself we just start to chip away at your confidence until we until we're happy again. Yeah, 100%. As soon as you turn into the bloke next door, um then it's all good. As soon as you're a little bit bigger than that, it's it's <laughs> everyone's fair game. <laughs> I, I you know the next thing that I wanted to talk about 
And I feel like every time we catch up, we get some sad news. But Andrew Simons passed away uh, over the weekend in a you know pretty tragic car accident in sort of regional regional Queensland or country Queensland. You know, and for me, you know, we've we've talked about sort of the trips that I took with my dad down to the cricket before, and he he was a pretty significant fixture in in those and I I still remember him scoring that that 100 at the MCG I think it scored 153 and you know his best mm-hmm. mate Matt Hayden was out on the on the park or on the pitch with him you know big hug was his first sort of significant 100 but what what really struck me was just how dominant he was how strong he was like he hit this 6 and honestly the ball never got above head height but it just carried, you know, the hundred meters to the to the signpost and just smacked into the fence like super loud. Like he was just, yeah. Anyway, you know, for for me, he was a a really significant character and someone really important to cricket and really important, you know, to to even media. Um, and to lose him so suddenly, like we did Shane a few months earlier, is just so sad. Yeah, I think he was always kind of like the bloke next door that, you know, he was never, I guess, the headline or anything, but you knew he that he was always exciting to watch with the zinc and, yeah. you know, dreads if he decided or whatever it was. He always, you know, he had a persona and I think the Aussie public fell in love with him mm. um, just with, you know, his laid back attitude and just, you know, I guess powerhouse and kind of quiet confidence and stuff. So, yeah, I, it's just unbelievable that, you know, something so sudden, like you just realise life is so short. Yeah, and it, and that's really what hit home to me. And I know we, you know, we get, we've had a couple of hard ones as as the Australian public in the last few months, but that that's what really hit home for me. Like, I think the biggest mistake we all make is we think we've got so much time, but it can be taken away from you pretty quickly. You know, 46 years old, that's not an old person. No. Leaves behind, you know, a wife and and kids and his dogs, who unfortunately had to go through that ordeal with him. And yeah, just I guess to lose such a a great person is, yeah, it's pretty devastating. Yeah, I think it's also like when you get outside of the sporting realm, you turn and well, you your persona now is a normal person, so. You know, I think it, why it's so relatable is that, you know, he wasn't really back in the spotlight mm. anymore. And then, you know, you kind of didn't really know what was happening. And then all of a sudden that's the news that you hear. Yeah. Um. So I think it hits a lot harder just because you just, you know, he was a Australian legend that kind of just was an Aussie. And then, you know, life just came so quickly. Yeah. And, you know, to, I guess to give an insight into him, the last text message he sent was a a link to an article that said that sort of talked about Tom Brady getting three hundred and seventy five million dollars for a broadcast deal when he retires, and yeah. all, and he sent that text message to the head of Fox Sports, and all he said underneath was, "Mate, we need to talk." <laughs> <laughs> Here we go again. <laughs> So you know, I guess that gives you a very small insight into into the kind of kind of guy he was, and and the, even the things that I've seen coming out in the papers and in the media recently. You know, before the accident, he stopped in at the pub just outside um, just outside the town where he lives. He talked to the locals. He had a couple of beers with them, and then you know headed off home. He was he was the quintessential Aussie bloke who just happened mm-hmm. to be an incredible cricketer and an incredible commentator. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's just the hardest part about it, I think. You, you just you relate so much to him being an Aussie bloke and, yeah, it's just, yeah, incredibly sad. Yeah. And I guess, you know, on the other, the other side of that, this week we've had, or last week, over the weekend, whenever it was, we had sort of Liz Cambridge come out and start you know, she threw some shots at, at the Opals and, you know, we've talked a lot about mental health, you know, you and I uh, over the course of our, our catch-ups and it's obviously not something you ever want to take lightly and I think, 
teams and and organizations and and national bodies you know they they're not perfect and i think they are getting better and they do need to provide environments you know supportive environments and support people but then when you hear you know her say i didn't feel supported and they didn't do this and i don't want to play for a team that doesn't have my best interests at heart and and all of that and then you know genero hey who has no reason to lie you know mm-hmm. is a is a hugely respected figure in basketball incredible athlete incredible person you know confirms that the actual reason she left or was was asked to leave um, camp the pre olympic camp was because she got in a fight during during a game and and that's not the problem we all do that right in the heat of competition sometimes you do something or you say something that you shouldn't Mm-hmm. And that's okay as long as you, as long as you um, acknowledge it and do what you got to do to move past it. But she turned around and and told the Nigerian team to to go back to their third world country, which I think is just incredibly disrespectful. Yeah, I think, I think that I guess the beauty of sport is that it unites people from all different backgrounds, no matter what their um, upbringing was like, what their views are like, you know, that team is there representing their country and kind of all the other stuff of, you know, what will set you different, it completely leaves the arena or field or pitch or whatever it is. Um, So to kind of hear, you know, comments, I guess, like that, I mean, we, we don't know what anyone's going through or how anyone grew up especially if it's an uh, like an opposite team um Mm. or an opposing team you don't really know um so i think you know all of us are playing our sport because we love it and we're representing our country because we love it and it's it's a privilege Mm. so um yeah to kind of see it being overshadowed that you know that that i guess is not the message um yeah you don't really want to see that in sport no and you know we all know the the Opals probably underperformed or, you know, didn't didn't go as well as the public expected. But when you sort of when you sort of now hear about that sort of turmoil and distraction that they went through in the lead up, it kind of makes sense that the performances performance wasn't there because and I, I don't I don't know what happened behind closed doors, but it sounds like there was a bit of an internal review, internal investigation and Liz's Liz's reaction was to leave and kind of leave her teammates high and dry. I don't know this. Don't aggregate this. Don't quote me. This is just how I'm reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, and just left her, you know, sort of just left her teammates to kind of pick up the pieces and the, and the coaching staff to try and prepare without her. And when, and, and you know this, when, when you are trying to, to build a, a, a team over a four, eight or 12 year cycle, there are certain players that you know, are going to be part of that that build, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think I don't think it would be unfair to say that Liz was a core part of that build. You know, maybe one of the first two or three players you you pick in that in that group. So to then have her removed and have a week to basically build an entire new offense, an entire new defense, while you're also dealing with you know media pressure and just the turmoil of of what's happened. You know, some disjoint in the team, I actually think to have made the quarterfinals, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the, and so now it makes a lot of sense to me. Like this, you know, all of this happened and, and this is why, and this is why. I guess, it, you know, it, it. and I think Basketball Australia and Jenna O'Hay have probably done, not probably, have done a really good job of keeping this in-house until, until now when – there's been some space mm-hmm. and some time to breathe. And, you know, it's it's really interesting now, since that news has come out, Liz, her stats have gone to the toilet <laughs> um, in the WNBA. So, you know, she's, she's obviously feeling some pressure now too. Yeah, I think it's always hard when, you know, as an athlete you want to focus on your sport and not get drawn into anything, you know, I guess political or anything that is going to be outside the realm of your performance. So I think it's definitely hard no matter what 
um, the circumstances, the criticism, um, anything like that always affects your performance. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just, I guess it's really hard to see on both sides, just, you know, it's, it's kind of a sad story, I guess, really from, from basketball Australia. Yeah. And you know, that, that is the saddest part is basketball Australia has lost an incredibly talented athlete. Um, and you know, someone who could be maybe in the future could still be, you know, a real advocate for the game, you know, a, a person of influence in the game in the same way that, that Lauren Jackson is now in Australia or Carrie Graff or um, Kristen Veal, who's now coaching, coaching the Capitals, head coach of the Capitals, just been announced. Um, but yeah, and, and this, is, this is an outsider's opinion again. But trouble, trouble or distraction does seem to follow Liz around a little bit. Um, you know, there were there were issues in Vegas. She she didn't want to be in. You know, she demanded a trade from I think it was Dallas to get to Vegas, and then that didn't kind of work out. And then is now in in LA, which is you know I think which is where she's always wanted to be, big market, big town, which is which is great. Um, but. Things seem to happen around Liz. That's just my yeah. observation, and I think we've all played with players or, or know people that where that's the case. And so I guess it is about providing an environment where you can where you can assist with that and and help her focus. Yeah, um, you know, I guess it's just yeah, it's always hard not knowing the exact story and not being inside the camp and knowing like the reactions of girls and, and staff and, you know, their organization. So it's really hard to always, I guess, um, speculate and put yourself in their shoes. Totally. Um, but yeah, I think it's just, you know, you want obviously basketball Australia and Opals to recover. Um, you know, they've been such a dominant team, um, in basketball and, um, in the women's kind of sporting arena for, for so long. Um, so you, you know, you're rooting for them to kind of have a bounce back and, um, you know, have, have a comeback from, from this. So yeah, whilst it's, you know, not always a little bit of controversy at the moment, um, you kind of hope for the the best in the future as soon as possible, really. Yeah, hundred percent. And, you know, as you say, the, the Opals have been such a, a beast, you know, for, for so long, produce so many good players and, and we still see that. We still see that happening. It's it's yeah. It's just going to be a challenge for that coaching staff to go. Okay, we don't have Liz anymore. So what is what is what does that look like? What is what is our mm-hmm. new identity? What is what is our new way of playing? Because it's it's a lot. I think it's a lot different to most team sports. You know, football. You have you know. There's eleven eleven people on the field. So yes, there are there are some players who are more important than others, or or who who. You can, you know, you can game plan for and utilize in specific ways, but and and rugby is the same. You know, fifteen or, or rugby league, thirteen players on the field, it's the same. But it's really hard to build a team around one player, mm-hmm. just be, because of the size and because you've got so many different skills and and specialized skills across the park. Whereas with basketball, you know, if you've got one of the five best players in the world on your team you can generally figure out a way to win with no matter who's around them, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, put, yeah. put put LeBron on any team and, and you'll win some games. Yeah. Yeah. Where, so it's definitely interesting. Yeah. And you know, for, for me as a, as a rugby fan, you know, you could, you could put someone like Bowden Barrett, who's one of the best, best players in the world on, on a team and they would still lose because they can't get him the ball in a way that that's meaningful mm-hmm. to him. But you put, you know, you put Liz in a team and all of a sudden they become a contender because she is such a dominant force. So it's going mm-hmm. to be really interesting to see how Sandy Brondello, you know, re rejigs this team because there's still players, you know, there's still bigs like Mariana Tolo and Ezzie Magbegor, um, Kayla George, like there are still some absolutely brilliant brilliant players here and now it's just going to be a matter of okay well how do we move on without Liz and and you know that 
that could probably still be hard because there's probably still some healing to do. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think so. But like you say, I think they have um, a good core. Obviously, there's quite a few of them playing over in the states, and um, so that's always a good sign. I mean, for us, it's you know the more you have playing overseas, it's better for kind of your team. So, um, yeah. I mean, I think it might be a little bit of a rebuilding process, but I think every team needs to go through that. Yeah, every every team does it, you know, whether it's, you know, a, a four-year build, an eight-year build, whatever, there's always a year or two in there where you just have to commit to, to a bit of a transition. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I guess on that front, the, the Phoenix Suns, it's one of the most epic collapses I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, they were so dominant throughout the regular season – and you know they had they had a tough first round playoff series against against the Pelicans, but then to go two two up in the semifinals or conference semifinals, and then lose four of the next five games was just incredible. It was honestly incredible to watch. I've I've not really seen anything like it. Yeah, I mean, I think all the memes on Instagram were going <laughs> off <laughs> and on Twitter. <laughs> um, yeah, you couldn't help but get like some some kind of like insight into what was happening. So, yeah, yeah no, it's it's crazy. Sports so crazy. Um, sometimes you have an answer, sometimes you don't, and then yeah, I've never seen anything like that before. <laughs> Obviously, I've um, been in the states and kind of was around um, the basketball and everything. So you see how epic it is, you know, during playoff time and and. Everything. I don't know if that's actually ever happened before. I mean, it probably has, but not in a while. Yeah, and not like, not that, like, so game seven, like I'm watching it and I'm like, I'm just thinking to myself the whole first quarter, I'm like, they're going to make a run. Like, it's going to be mm-hmm. fine. It's going to be a close game. You know, they're, they're obviously just letting Luca do his thing. Like, and, you know, Luka, Luka Doncic is, is incredible. Oh, he's ridiculous right now. He He's phenomenal. And so I'm just sitting there, I'm thinking, like, they're fine. They're fine. And then I like sit, like went to make a coffee and came back and they were down by 20. And I was like, what, like, what happened? And then, mm-hmm. and then I'm just watching it and they just looked so, you know, maybe, maybe the pressure got to them, but they just, they just didn't have an answer. They looked so tight. They looked like there's an expression I've heard before. It's like quicksand. So no matter what you do, it doesn't work and then you try to do mm-hmm. more and you try to do more and it just compounds the issue. And so I think, and I, and I don't know this because I, I don't know enough about strategy in basketball, I think, you know, players start to do their own thing and start to start to question the system and, and whatever. And, and, you know, the result of that is is obviously what we saw. Um, it was just, you know, and, and, and the, the Chris Paul piece, is tough because he's been one of my favorite players for a long time. You know, he's a little guy, little. He's six foot one. He's little for the NBA. <laughs> I bet the NBA players little. Um, you know, and he's kind of this old school, like gets everyone involved, has a really cool, good mid range game. You know, and he's you know reinvented himself. Thirty seven years old, reinvented mm-hmm. his game a couple of times, and I just was like, this is it. Like he played in the finals last year, lost. This is the year. 64 wins or 62 wins, however many they got in the regular season. Like, this is it. He's going to get his championship. He's probably going to, you know, play another year and then retire. We're all going to be happy. And, it, it, yeah, it was epic. The collapse was epic. Yeah. I mean, I guess it happens in a lot of sports too. Like, even in football, sometimes a team just outplays you and you just you don't have an answer for it. Yeah. And yeah. you can't figure it out. And it's just like it turns into just one kind of random cyclone of, like, either mistakes or just bad calls or just you just don't know how to counteract it. And sometimes, yeah, I mean, it's pretty epic that it happened in, you know, four games, I guess, but yeah. Um, yeah. compared to one. But I, I know it does happen, but it's just interesting to see how, I guess, big a collapse it was, and you um, know, especially finals. Oh, totally. And, you know, like for me, watching Luca, like I, I started to – like, I, you know, I always – thought he was incredible and you know he's this enormous human and shoots threes and passes and he does everything but to see him just jacking shots and then smiling 
you know, backpedaling down the court, smiling, being like, yeah, I just hit that mm-hmm. and I'm going to come up again and I'm going to hit another one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just- Honestly, I watched, um, we watched him, oh gosh, I don't know when it was, but they were playing, um, I can't even remember, but just watching him, how young it was, maybe like three years ago. And I was like, well, he, he's good. Yeah, he's so going to be really good. Be like 17 or 18 or something. Yeah. He, he's only like, um, I don't know how old he is now, but yeah, he, oh. He uh like he won the Euro League MVP at seventeen. Mm-hmm. And then Yeah. I remember at the time NBA scouts are like, oh, you know, it's a second rate league. I'm like, No. He's seventeen playing against thirty year olds who've got kids to feed. Like he's playing against mm-hmm. men. He's playing against grown mm-hmm. men and he's and he's destroying them. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's incredible. And then obviously watching Shark Tank and seeing Mark Cuban go absolutely <laughs> crazy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he's the best. He's one of my favorite oh, writers, he, I think. Yeah, I think so. He's <laughs> just so involved, honestly. And like, I like him too because he, like, when he talks about, he's, you know, he's obviously got a lot of business knowledge and know-how and stuff. Mm-hmm. But he always admits he's like, I just got lucky. Like, I invested in yeah. the right thing at the right time. I bought, I bought an NBA team before it, it exploded, and mm-hmm. now here I am. It's crazy. That's if it was that simple. Yeah, yeah. Life, <laughs> life's really, really easy, guys. Just invest yeah. in the right thing at the right time. Yeah, I know. I just with my spare million, invest in the next NBA team. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, you really, you know, you really, you know, we're talking about the Opals rebuild. Now you have to think, you know, what, what do the Suns do? Do they run it back? You know, they've got a relatively young team. You know, Devin Booker, Mikael Bridges, DeAndre Ayton. Chris Paul is obviously the you know he's he's the linchpin in a way he he conducts everything so you know do you do you try and run it back one more time and hope that this was just an an anomaly or you know mm-hmm. do you do you trade DeAndre Ayton do you trade Chris Paul and try and get a little bit younger and a little bit smaller better shooters whatever to try and upgrade some of those positions long term like I don't know so I don't I don't really envy the GM of the of the Suns to be honest. No, and I think it's also when you just you have money to to burn really to kind of invest. It's you know like you said, do you take a little bit of a hit and still invest in what you had because you still did make playoffs, or mm. you know do you change it up completely and hope that you know that's the right call to make? So it's a tough. I one. mean, I'd hate to be a GM. <laughs> <laughs> And it's it's it, it's I reckon it's low key one of the most difficult positions in in sports is that sort of I guess high performance GM role and you know you can mm-hmm. you can you can you find them everywhere you know they're in every sport and they're the people putting the teams together for the coaches to coach and you know often and it's it's often not reported on but if the coach gets sacked so does the so does the GM. It's just the GM mm-hmm. goes off into the sunset pretty quietly. Yeah. So yeah, as you, as you say, I don't envy that job. I don't <laughs> think I'd ever sleep. <laughs> no way, absolutely not. Two wins away from losing. I'm um, two losses away from losing my job, guys. Yeah. Have no. your suitcase suitcase no, packed. You. <laughs> yeah. Happy just to play. It's fine. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Make any decisions other than do I need a massage or not? <laughs> it's my ankle sore. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, do I go to the gym today or do I run today? What's that? Hey, got to do it. You know, someone's got to do it. Someone's <laughs> got to live that life. Yep. So the other thing I want to talk to you about, and I don't know if you got a chance to watch it, the, the Greg Norman 30 for 30 documentary. I know I do this to you every podcast. We have we always have a golf segment, but <laughs> <laughs> I think you're trying to turn me into a golfer. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm trying. I'm trying to. I'm trying to recruit. You know, get a big mm. golf circle. I've got. I've got like three friends I play with regularly, but sometimes I get sick of them, so I need some other. Fair enough. I need some you need other to start people. winning, so you're trying to recruit Exa- the newbies. Exactly, and exactly. You know, I haven't been able to play as much. They're getting better than me, so I need. You know, I need some rookies that I can haze. You mm-hmm. know. <laughs> That's when I'm always like, "Do you want to do a penalty shootout?" <laughs> yeah. yeah, it'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, you'll enjoy it. You'll enjoy it. 
Um, so I don't know if you got a chance to watch it, but it, you know, it's a it was a really good look into someone who had every aspect of the game down pat, except for the the mental the mental aspect. And even without that that mental aspect, he still is the second. He still holds, you know, however many years later, the second highest win percentage. So he won ten percent of the tournaments he entered. That might not sound that impressive. Tiger Woods won twenty two percent, or wins twenty two percent of the tournaments he enters. So the you know, but. His is the second highest. And then I think the next yeah. one is about 9%. That was Jack Nicholas, 8 or 9%. So he's in rarefied air. And this is someone who didn't have the mental the mental side of the game. Mm-hmm. I, I just He must have been just an incredible athlete. I get, also, I think when you start, like, loving your sport to the point of, you know, that that's kind of where you're at. You, you've achieved so much, but you know, you just love playing. I think that's like something you can't really put any um, value on or, Mm. or, you know, teach that or train that. So Mm. I think that's always a part of, you know, an athlete's life that, you know, you you have stats and everything, but how much do you love your sport that, Mm. you know, that's something that you really can't measure. It's such an underrated thing too. Like, and it it is hard. Mm -hmm. It is hard sometimes as a coach or as a, as a GM to look at, a player and go, do they actually love this or are they just good at it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Greg Norman loves it so much that he's gone off and cre- helped create this other golf league, <laughs> the LIV, yeah. LIV Golf League backed by Saudi Arabian oil money or something. <laughs> As you do, you know, just with all the, the millions that you can go buy an NBA team now, that's what he's going to do next. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. But I think it's really interesting because so this league, it's eight tournaments and they're calling it a league because players are guaranteed payment. So mm-hmm. PGA Tour, you play for prize money and that's how you earn your living, which I imagine for someone who's at the, you know, who's trying to come in and, and break break it or, or, or do it as a, you know, as a living in the early days, if, if you're not winning a lot, that would be really difficult because all your money's going back into equipment and travel and whatever, you know, whatever else, getting your massage and, and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and doing, doing all of that. So this LIV golf league players are guaranteed payment and you're basically just playing for a trophy. So more of a traditional sports league setup, but the PGA Tour has just denied releases for all of the players who've applied to play in the LIV Golf League, and the, and basically said if you go and do that, then you can't come back to the to the PGA Tour. So that says two things to me: one, they don't really give a shit about their players, and mm-hmm. and two, they're scared of this LIV Golf League or Live Golf League. I don't know how it's pronounced, but it that's what it says to me. That's you know, out, again, outsider's perspective, but you know, if I'm if I'm the the head of the PGA Tour and and there's all of this money for golf, I'm trying to think of ways that we can work with them to make sure that our players can earn a really a really good living. And mm-hmm. the other thing that I think is really important to note is that this golf league has has been really diligent in making sure that they're not um, they're not scheduling their tournaments against big PGA Tour tournaments. So they've done everything they can to make it work and the PGA is still just giving them the two middle fingers, which is interesting. Yeah, I mean, you just want to keep it traditional, I think, at the end of the day. Um, But also you also need to evolve sport in something new and something more exciting. And, you know, there's always traditions and stuff, but if you can kind of add something that appeals to different I guess, generations as they come, you know, um, Wimbledon's they always still wear white. It's very respectful. Then you get the Australian Open where it's it's insane. It's chaos. Um, <laughs> chaos. So it's kind of like a good balance of, you know, both, I guess, um, gentlemanly and formal then versus, you know, new age and, and a bit wild. So I think, you know, the more that sports incorporate that, you build a bigger audience. So, yeah. 
And it is, it is I interesting. I can see why there's resistance. Yeah, I, I, I get it too. You know, golf, golf is kind of like rugby. It's still very rooted in this amateur, um, amateur in the sense that, you know, amateurism in sport was seen as more noble, the more noble pursuit. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you were paid to play, you were kind of, you know, looked down upon because, well, you know, we, we do this for leisure, you know, we're, we're all, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, and so it's still very much rooted in that and that tradition. And I, I appreciate that. And, and that is one of the things I do love about golf, but it's also the single biggest thing that's holding it back. hundred <laughs> mm-hmm. percent. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> You know they they ha- they do have a couple of tournaments where they do encourage the crowd to be loud, and they've put you know big um, grandstands and stuff around holes. So they, it, but it is just surprising to me that that there is you know obviously hundreds of millions of dollars being invested into the sport, and they're not more receptive to to figuring out how to make it work. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think. Uh, I don't know, you almost need like a young person who's just like up and coming, doesn't mind taking a risk to kind of be like, yeah, let's do this. I think, you know, without that change, it kind of stays stagnant in a way in, you know, um, I guess old beliefs and, um, you know, what's worked in the past rather than maybe let's take a risk and see, you know, how else that this can benefit us. And, um, you know, I guess you see it with all sports. Mm. Um, You know, AFL obviously taking a risk with the, AFLW and it's, you know, becoming more and more successful every year. We talked about um, the rugby and how, Mm. you know, those girls are now becoming more and more professional. So, Mm. yeah, it's just I think you just have to take a risk sometimes. Yeah, I I totally agree. And that's one of of the most annoying things or or sentences that I come across a lot in my life is, oh, well, this is the way we've always done it. Well, why are we here then? This is why we're having this (laughs) this discussion. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and you know that i guess that isn't it, that leads nicely into the next you know the next point and this is this is a we try not to take ourselves too seriously on this on this podcast but you know this is becoming a political issue and i don't think sports should be a political issue i think they should be free of of politics and and you know, religion and 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 any any other thing that you think can be constr- can constrain you or, or restrain you, because sport should be an expression of something that you love to do, regardless mm-hmm. of of the way you look or the or or whatever, um, or where you're from or or anything like that. And so, you know, in 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 the lead up to the election, you know, the transgender participation in sport has has come up, and it's it's sort of it is a divisive issue. I get it, um, but you know it's being used as an as an election platform piece rather than an education piece, which I think is a problem personally. Yeah, I mean it's been obviously a topic of discussion for years now, especially in America. Mm. And the more that it, you know, I guess makes um, its way in in other countries and um, more accepted. I think, you know, it it's, has to be discussed on, on that front. But to make it a political statement, I think you can't do that. You can't turn into, you can't make sport a political thing at all or no. participation in sport or, you know, individual people, you know, you can't kind of use that, I guess, you know, the same as kind of saying things with Indigenous people. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, know, you know, I think Labor was, you know, we'll do this for, um, you know, sorry day and, you know, change this and that. And you can't use that in order to gain votes or do anything like that. I think that's, you know, it it's just creates more division amongst, um, you know, minorities and majorities and, and just people. I think it's really wrong. And and in my view, it, it actually highlights how out of touch some of these politicians are with marginalised communities, that they're, you know, up on a pedestal talking about, oh, we're going to do all these great things. Have you actually spoken to them and asked what they want? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because <laughs> I can promise I mean, you have we, we always have this discussion like going out in the desert and you have to actually be around the desert and um, in communities to, to create these relationships. You have to create relationships in 
you know, different people's um, religion, what their, you know, um, gender is, uh, their sexual orientation, how they grew up, their financial status. You have to actually go out there and learn and educate yourself and um, create these relationships. I think that's the problem that there's a lot of assumptions in the world. Yeah, and all of those things that you just mentioned are a small piece of what makes someone who they are. And if you're not actively out seeking that information and and trying to connect on a real level, as you say, you're just making assumptions about large groups of people, which, Mm -hmm. you know, is a shame. Because I think my personal view is that sport is for all. And, you know, I think one of the core values of, of rugby is that we have a position for everyone, you know, size, shape, um, you know, color, background, we'll have you, we, we, we'll love you unconditionally, even, mm-hmm. you know, even if you're just playing because it gives you an excuse to have a beer with your mates on a Thursday night, we, yeah. like, we like that even more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can't wait for that time. <laughs> One training session a week. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, <laughs> just like when your parents used to take you to McDonald's after the game, yeah. you go to the pub after, yeah, yeah, one of yeah. those. That's it. So to see this issue, which and, – and I tried. I've looked for, for research because that's what I do when I get angry about something. I look for the, the people who are the experts who know what they're talking about, and I've looked for research – and there's a little bit out there, but the overwhelming sentiment from everything that I've found is that none of their research is being funded. So this mm. research is being done, you know, on a whim and and because it's something that they're passionate about. But we're not actually we're not actually allowing the research to be done so that we can make informed decisions about what it actually looks like and what you know, what are the what, if any, are the performance um, advantages or disadvantages you know what what are the implications on the current athletes participating what what are the implications on them in terms of their mental health well-being safeguarding all of that what you know there's there's a myriad of things that we just haven't discussed and to see to see it being used in such a trivial way to try and gain some votes is in my view pretty disgusting <laughs> yeah I mean, I think because so many sports are at the baby steps of just, you know, gender equality, just getting, you know, um, yeah, yeah. women a platform or, you know, um, youth uh, or young kids participation. Like there's st- we're still in the early stages of, of developing of that. that in so many different sports and to kind of jump to something that, you know, you don't want to do a like a half no. like ass job on, on whatever. You no. want to make sure you've done it right and to kind of, you know, already use this in politics to, you know, I don't I don't really think it's it's the right move to do to, you know, put that in such a public forum. No, and as you say, you know, you want to do it properly. You want to make sure we create environments within our sports where people feel confident, comfortable and happy. And if we... Yeah, if we use this issue as a as a political tool, we're not going to get there because we're going to, as you say, we're we're still figuring out at the participation level. You know, we're we're, we're getting better with women's high performance, but we're still mm-hmm. struggling with women's participation, particularly, you know, from the ages of sort of sixteen to nineteen. We'd see this huge drop off. So we, you know, we haven't got that right yet. You know, yeah. we haven't got in many of our sports underpinning infrastructure for for pathways you know mm-hmm. some kids are being plucked out of school and straight into an olympic program we've got nothing mm-hmm. in between to make sure that they're supported and looked after yeah maternity leave maternity programs like 100%. to keep those women in sport to know that they can have this so not they don't have to worry about you know fertility or anything like that later on that's yeah. like a big thing and, and injuries th- just even yeah and i think that's such a good point it and I don't want to. I don't want to trivialize this issue because it is a really important issue. But it'd be like a politician saying, "Oh, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure that every sport has a maternity leave policy." Like, what do you mean? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? I, what? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it is. Yeah. It, it bringing it up in that forum makes it trivial. 
Because mm-hmm. if, if yeah, poli- like, are you going to fund it? Are you going to be the ones that like get in touch with every hospital that <laughs> <laughs> exactly. helps these ladies? Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, it's just it is frustrating. It is really frustrating to see to see that happen when we you know when as you say sports sports have have so many so many things we're still trying to figure out. We shouldn't be you know constricted or restricted by politics like let us figure it out let let us let us do our thing let us provide the environments for the athletes and you guys just worry about you know whether we can pull our super out to to pay for houses because we can't afford them or or whatever like I, I, yeah more <laughs> more funding for firefighters and <laughs> yeah yeah making sure we get our tourism back going in australia <laughs> yeah you guys figure that the the actual important things out mm-hmm. so that we can operate as a country and let let us run sports. Yeah. All right. Lita. Also, yeah, I think I saw them playing football the other day and oh, wasn't yeah. there something about yes. <laughs> tackling a kid or something like yeah, that? Yeah, so they were playing football, you know, which I haven't played a lot of football in my life. Played a little bit in the schoolyard. <laughs> I wasn't very good because I couldn't use my hands. Uh, but as far as Just I'm aware... I'm a goalkeeper. Yeah, that's, well, that's, yeah that's, the <laughs> that's the trick. But as far as I'm aware, and I've watched a fair bit of it, <laughs> there is no shoulder tackling involved. <laughs> I'm pretty sure a sniper was out in the tree, shot him in the back of the leg, just, and then full on tackled the kid. I saw what was it, ABC News on Twitter, uh, on, on Instagram. I was like, "What's going on?" At home? <laughs> but you know, like that. I guess you know that he he has become in many ways a, a caricature because there has been some things that he's bungled. And so, you know, something as trivial as that, which maybe we'd let most politicians get away with, is like, look at this idiot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think there was a don't step on the grass. Thing yeah, too. That was- yeah. That's my favourite thing about Twitter <laughs> and, and Instagram and just the internet. Whole, like, you can take a photo like that and just people just go absolutely nuts with it. <laughs> get off the grass. The, the Australian cultures, just, they just don't care. That's just... I think someone asked me about the election the other day. I was like, we have an election coming up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, I mean, you'd be so, I guess, so removed from it in, in Europe. Like, you you know, unless you're paying attention, you you really wouldn't know. Yeah, just from my mum just yeah. asking, do I need to send a vote in or do, not? Yeah, do but the postal vote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. All right, Lid, it's always always good to catch up. I, I, I have a lot of fun, so thank you again. And, you know... Good luck. Good luck with the off season and we're pumped to see what's next for you. Perfect. Me too. (laughs) And thanks again, honestly. All right. Thanks, Lyd. All right. Catch ya. Lydia, thank you again. Always love having you on the show. Always welcome to come black, back, come black, come back. That's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you took something out of that. Make sure you get to the polling station and vote this weekend, May 21, the day this podcast comes out, I might add. So make sure you get there, get that done. I don't really, you know, I'm not going to get into a political debate here about it or anything, but just make sure you do it. Hung parliament is not a bad thing either, I will say. That's the one thing I will say because some of the, if it's a hung parliament, then the shit candidates are going to have to do deals with the good candidates and we might get some real significant impact change done. So don't be scared of of a hung parliament. Be smart with your vote, but don't be scared of the hung parliament. But also just vote for who you want to vote for. You like someone's super policy, vote for them. You like someone's platform on whatever, (laughs) vote for them. Hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you get to thecover.com.au and check out everything on that website because it's awesome. There's so much good stuff on there. So many good podcasts, good writers. We have fun. Make sure you click on some ads. Get yourself a Riverside subscription. But click on our link before you do. Otherwise, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy your week. 
I'll be back in a week's time. See you then.